Lord, speak. Your servants, your sons and daughters, your friends are listening. And we long to hear from you. You are good. You never let us down. Help us to believe, to hear and believe the truth today, Lord. Thank you. In your name, amen. Well, if you're new, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at the Harbor. And before being a pastor, I was a math teacher for 10 years in the public schools in this area. And for six of those 10 years, I taught Algebra 2. One of the topics of Algebra 2 is exponential growth and decay. So if you have credit card debt, that's exponential growth, unfortunately. Exponential decay is something that happens to, like, you know, radioactive isotopes, the value of, you know, certain things. And to illustrate this, every year I did a car project. And the car project was the students had to go online and find a car that they really liked. It could be a used car, a new car. They had a budgeted amount of money, and they had to, they had to purchase a vehicle. And they'd have to fill out kind of some loan information, take out a loan, and, uh, you know, figure out how much of a down payment they would put on it, all those kinds of things. And so the point of the project was to understand kind of how exponential growth works. So as, you know, they take out a loan, right, the interest over time is increasing and the total amount that they pay and kind of looking into how a mortgage works and amortization schedule. And then also the value of the car depreciating over time, which is a, kind of an exponential curve. So I would do that every year and it would, it would engage in the debate at the end of, you know, what's a better choice? Is it better to buy a new car or is it better to buy a used car? And that's still kind of a debate today. Any kind of time my older used car breaks down, I think, oh, it's better to buy a new car, right? All that to say, we have a value as a culture and probably generally across the world, we want to spend our money well, right? We want to we wanna be frugal with it or we want to figure out the best, you know, the best deal. Is it better to buy a used car and, you know, get this good deal on it or buy a new car that's going to last a long time and not going to need a lot of repairs, that's a high value for many of us. Now, we're in this series called Money Matters, and we're talking about generosity in the church. Last week, we talked about, hey, what is the rule for a follower of Jesus when it comes to money? And we found out that the rule, really, from the Bible, from the New Testament perspective, it's give what's in your heart. This week, I want to talk about why would anyone on earth want to give their money away? If we're just free, if we've been freed up from the law by Jesus, and there's no obligations, we're just, we're just free to give what's in our heart. Why, why would we want to do that? I mean, if I took all the money, I'm 37 now, that I've given to churches or other ways that I've been generous for all those years and pooled it up, I mean, we're talking about a pretty sizable chunk of money. Could maybe buy a boat. Although the best boat is your neighbor's boat, right? If you didn't know. Okay? So, all that to say, the question today is, why would I ever want to give my money away? Why would I want to be generous? That sounds like the stupidest thing you could actually do with your money, financially speaking. So today to answer that question, we're actually going to be looking at the same place in the passage we looked at last week, but going at some different places that we didn't hit on last week. That's a letter that the Apostle Paul or St. Paul wrote to this group of churches in a city called Corinth like 2,000 years ago. Okay, amazing what he saw is very, very applicable to today. The human condition hasn't changed much. Just a little background information. 
Paul started this church. He traveled to the city. He didn't take any money from them. It was kind of a wealthy area, the city of Corinth. And he's writing to them in part to correct a lot of messed up stuff that was going on in there, but to also encourage them to make good on this promise that they had made, to make a collection for the group of churches that were struggling in and around Jerusalem. They were being persecuted heavily, and so the other churches in the area trying to help them and support them in kind of poverty, lack, etc. So that's, that's kind of the background of what we see in this passage. So if you've got a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to land today. We're going to read that whole chapter, okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, we're going to start right in verse 1. So Paul's saying, now it's, it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. He's talking about this gift to give to these churches in Jerusalem. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that are boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Right? Again, we hear the rule there. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's the rule right there. Each one gives as he has decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. That's awesome. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. So again, we're in this series talking about money. We're doing that because Jesus talked about money a lot. It's a huge part of our life, which is why Jesus talked about it a lot, which is why we're talking about it. We've seen that the rule, again, is followers of Jesus just give what's in their heart. They're not bound to any kind of rule. So the question today is, why would I want to give my money away then? If there's not compulsion or it's not exaction, or if we're not passing the offering basket five more times to get a little more out of you, what is the benefit to me? Right? Why on earth would I want to be generous? Well, here's what we see from the Bible. Every time you give out of response to God, there is an eternal return. 
Every single time you give out of response to God, there is an eternal return. When our giving comes out of a place of relationship and gratitude to what God has done, there is a mark, there is a reward that will last forever. That is the promise of the Bible. Why would we want to give? Because nothing beats an eternal return. You can't get that return on Wall Street. You can't get it in real estate. Right? You can't get it by some business venture. When we give out of response to God, there is, a eternal, there is an eternal return. Here's where we see that. I want to give you three reasons of kind of we see in this passage and in the scriptures of what that eternal return looks like. And the first is this. Number one, it changes you. You are changed when you give. When you give out of response to God, whether he's leading you to give or you're just so grateful for what God's done in your life, when you, when you give out of that place, it changes you. Right, look at the passage, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Right? God is the initiator of giving. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may, you may abound in every good work. Right? This, this collection that Paul's talking about is they give out of this place of knowing that God's given to them first. It's, it's increasing their ability to do good things around them. Verse 10 and 11. He who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Right? It's enlarging your heart to a place where, where heaven is flowing through you more readily. When you, when you engage in generosity, right, it's changing who you are. It's that more of God, more of His kingdom, more of His love is able to flow through you. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. So that, right, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When we give... It changes us. One of the things that Jesus hit on was this, this famous passage. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Every time we give out of response to God, we are saying to money, you are not my master, and I am not your slave. Money, I do not work for you, you work for me. You're not the boss of me. I am the boss of you. You make money serve you instead of you serving money. Now, Jesus is clear. We cannot say, you know what? Money is my ultimate goal. It's my ambition. There's just, there's just nothing there. He's saying you cannot serve God and money. You cannot be ruled by decisions that are only influenced by how is this going to affect me financially. It's a totally different perspective than God, I can give generously because you've been good to me. Another principle that Jesus hits on. Your heart goes where you put your money. The more you invest in something, the more, the more you're going to value that. So it changes you in that way too. When you put your money somewhere, it changes you so that you value that more. Right? Jesus said it this way famously, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? What we value is where we invest. 
my wife and I dated long distance. She's, she was living in Anaheim, California when we met at a wedding in Gloucester. And we committed, once we started dating after kind of about a year of going, going online and then some phone calls, once we started dating the following summer, we said, okay, we're going to visit each other once a month. Now, 3,000 miles is a long way. You ain't going to drive to visit on a weekend, right? So we, we had to fly. And if you, if you didn't know, flying is not cheap, right? You're talking about 500 bucks a pop, and you're doing that every month. I mean, that's if you get a good deal to California, and you're doing that every month for a year. So I, I never did the math. That would be pretty easy to do, but I'm intentionally not doing the math on that one, okay? I'm sorry. I'm keeping my brain from doing it right now because I was a math teacher. Sorry. It's, it's like automatic. I'm like, no, I'm not doing the math on that. But it didn't matter. It did not matter. The, the money was not a thing because, right, this relationship was highly valued. We were in love. We were pursuing this relationship. Jay was high quality. I was like, if I have any chance, we've got to, you know, of getting married, I've got to make this work, right? So the money was not a factor, right? Because what we value, right, is where we put the money. We don't, we don't even question it when it's something of high value. It doesn't hurt, right? Because it's just like, you know what, hey, this is worth it. The opposite is also true. If we invest in something, then we also start to value it. I, I invested in a new pair of running sneakers because, I, I, I'm, because I'm not a runner. just like to wear sneakers around and uh, you know, look like I'm a runner. And um, I, I've kinda, I went to New England Running Company. They're awesome if you've never been there. It's in North Beverly. They will fit you with the perfect shoe. Like they, just, they, just, they, they look at your form, the way you walk, and they're telling you all these things about how you walk and your gait and if you pronate and all these weird words, I don't know what they mean. Okay? It's really for runners, but I just like a comfortable pair of shoes. They're really awesome in there. But, you know, I, I bought an expensive pair of shoes because they, they were the ones that felt the best. And so, of course, when I, got, when I get something new, you know, I kind of take care of it. And I want the kids, like, you know, stepping on my shoes or I'm, like, careful not to walk in mud. That lasts probably, like, you know, a few weeks until they start to get dirty. You forget about it. But, right? When you invest money in something, you start to value that thing more. That's the point that Jesus is making. So it changes us. When we give generously, we start to value people more, right? When we just give to a friend, we start to value that relationship more. When we invest in what God's doing in churches or you sponsor a compassion kit or whatever it is, however God is, is asking you to respond to him in giving, your heart tends to go there, okay? One more, just one more thing here on, on how it changes us when we give. When we, when we give, we imitate God, as I said earlier, he's the ultimate giver. At the end of this passage, Paul just kind of says this funny thing. He's like totally changes the direction of everything. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This whole time he's been talking about them giving and God helping them and meeting them as they give and he's going to supply their needs and all this stuff. But the focus has been on kind of their motivation for making good on their promise to give this gift. But then he ends with, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the ground for everything. What is that inexpressible gift? Thanks for asking. It is Jesus. And we will celebrate that gift, right, coming really soon as we celebrate Advent, the birth of God. Incredible. God becoming a human being. 
That is the inexpressible gift, is Jesus entering this world. And God did that because he wanted relationship with people. So here's the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that God made this world good. He made everything good. Everything was awesome. Everything was cool. When it was, sorry, that's not as it's song. Okay, guys, I'm trying up here. Pity laughs. All right, I'm just not that funny. That's fine. Thank you, Ben. Okay? So God made everything good. It was great. But man chose to go against God. He chose his own way when he followed, you know, the temptation of the serpent. Okay? And that brought brokenness in this world. It created brokenness, first of all, with God. It created all the strife and brokenness we see in relationships and marriages and in families, right, between kids and parents, between nations, between ethnic groups. That all the Bible says is explainable because we chose to go our own way. The brokenness of the world itself, pollution, the evil systems that oppress people, it's all because man rebelled against God. But God longed for a relationship. So he sent Jesus to bring restoration to this world. Right? God gave us this planet. He gave us authority. He said, hey, rule over this planet. And he wasn't just going to take that back. God doesn't rescind on things that he gives. So the only way for God to then get authority in this planet again after he's given us the authority and we gave it to the devil was for him to become a man. That is why Jesus was born. God doesn't take things back when he gives them. Jesus became a man so that as a man, he could rule this world. He could get the authority back by living a perfect life, never resorting to violence. Right? Resorting, he, he, when people came to take his life, he gave it willingly. He laid it down. And that, that, that act of, of, of love that he did was the sacrifice right, that paid somehow, mysteriously, for all the wrong that's ever been done. It allowed us to receive forgiveness for all of our sins. And then as he rises again from the, the grave, to bring us along with him so that we are free from the power of sin. A lot of times, just if you've been in the church a long time, we forget about that part. We know the forgiveness thing, God's forgiven me, but we're also set free from the power of sin in our lives. Death does not hold me. Right? We do not have to sin. We are set free from that. And now he's filled us with his spirit so that God's people can bring restoration to every segment, every corner of this earth. Every person would encounter God, would know his love, would receive forgiveness and freedom. That's the message of the Bible. And that is the inexpressible. You can see I'm, I'm even limited in this English language for how to express what it was that Jesus did and how good God is how much he loves us, how much, how much grace he has for us. The English language can't contain it. It's an inexpressible gift of God's love, forgiveness, freedom, and filling with his very spirit to bring restoration to this world. It's inexpressible. And when we give, we imitate the great giver. We become more like God. It increases the flow of heaven flowing through us to this earth. All right, that was all reason number one. You guys still awake? Yeah. Amen. Okay. Number two, somehow you get eternal rewards when you invest in an eternal kingdom. 
Right? When we give out of response to God, there is an eternal return. And part of that return is, number one, it changes us, but number two, there's somehow some reward. Jesus talks about rewards. Don't store up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. And as someone said once, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Right? By investing in something that will last forever, you earn some kind of reward in heaven. And I don't know how that all teases out. It's not like we're just motivated by rewards. But Jesus is saying, hey, when you, when you invest what really matters, there's, there's impact that is remembered for all of eternity. Right? Luke 16.11 says, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? That's a striking thing. If we're, not, if we're not handling our money well and investing where we know we can get an awesome return, will God entrust us with greater things than that? Responsibility, authority, influence in people's lives, to lead them to God, to love them, to let them see the light of, of God. My wife's father is, my father-in-law, Phil, is a farmer. And so my wife grew up, you know, learning about tractors. There's two main kinds of tractors, at least in uh, northeast Colorado, that are, that are bought and sold. One is a company called Case, or Case International uh, Harvesters. The other is, more well-known, as John Deere. Now, Case equipment is red, and John Deere equipment is green. And generally speaking, if you look at the prices, Case is, is a decent amount cheaper than John Deere. John Deere is kind of the higher end, so to speak, or the more expensive model. Maybe it's just the name, whatever. My father-in-law is all John Deere, and he is all about John Deere. And so he would always buy John Deere tractors and combines and all their different equipment. And he trained his kids since they were very little. Anytime they were driving around town and they saw a red tractor, he would say, what's that? And they would all say, that's a piece of junk. So he's still doing that today with my now three kids, right? They know, see a red tractor, what is that? That's a piece of junk, okay? His point is he just had bad experiences with case tractors. They break down a lot. And so for him, it was worth the greater cost to buy a quality machine that wasn't going to break down, okay? The point is, in his mind, it's like, this is an easy deal. Even though it may cost me something, I am having a greater investment by investing in the green, right, in the John Deere tractor, okay? So Jesus is saying somehow there's some kind of an eternal reward here. And this is connected to the third reason, okay? These, I think these two things are really connected, and I'll try to tease that out in a minute. But the third and final reason is that it helps other people. When we are generous, at least especially in wise ways, it helps other people. Look at verse 12 and 13 again. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So by supplying their needs, it's resulting in worship of God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Again, there's the ground. It all comes out of their faith in God that's resulting in generosity and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So there's both, you're meeting physical needs, but it's also resulting in people loving on God, encountering God, 
praising him for the way that God's taking care of them. Think about this for a second. We saw last week as we talked about Paul that when he went to Corinth, he didn't take any money from them because of this kind of authority deal and he didn't want to come under them and think that they were the ones that were kind of paying his way. So he took money from other churches in order to do that, kind of like modern day missionaries do. Anyone that gave to Paul's ministry to support him, can you think about the return they had on that investment? Yeah, you know, I I gave Paul a hundred bucks and, you know, I don't know what I really got for that. Like the whole Christendom, like Christianization of like the Greek Greco-Roman Empire, that's all. I mean, think about that. The impact that he had through that whole region that then out of there grew into Europe and then came to the New World, right, and spread. I mean, that is, ama- that is an amazing investment. You're talking about a return. Anyone that contributed to Paul's ministry, they got serious bang for their buck, Okay. One of the reasons that I'm standing here today is because my dad worked at a company called Electric Boat in Groton, Connecticut. And at that company, he was just there a few years, a man had the audacity to share the gospel with him. To talk about the Bible and what the message of the Bible was. And because this man decided to do that, my dad became a believer. And my mom freaked out a little bit when that first happened. This was before we were born. She thought they were going to have to get a divorce. You know, my dad's gone wacko, crazy religious type. The Lord softened her heart, and she also chose to follow Jesus. And so I was born into a family that loved Jesus and wanted to follow him. Now think about the trajectory that happened in that. Oh, sorry, and I also forgot to mention there were a number of my dad's siblings that also became believers by him sharing with them. And then the impact that all of their lives had. That is huge. Right? When we, every time, right, just generally speaking, every time we give or just respond to God in general, there is an eternal return on that. And think about the ripple effects in generations. We're talking about generations. My kids are now hearing about Jesus from an early age because that guy shared the gospel with my dad. That's huge. Anytime we support ministry, we engage in that, right? We are, we are, there's an eternal reward there. Not just like you've got, you know, a couple extra crowns in heaven or, you know, a little bit bigger mansion. I mean, maybe that's the case, you know? But I think Jesus heart more is that there's a legacy that's left. Not that it's about our glory, but at the end, when we meet Jesus face to face, we can say, this is all that I gave. I gave you all of this. Isn't it awesome? Because you're awesome. It's not about us being, wow, look at all the wonderful things I did, but it is about a legacy that can be left, the legacy of Paul the Apostle, right? And investing in that. There's an eternal impact on what we do, Right? So, what's our response? Okay, if this is what we get when we give, every time we give out of response to God, there's an eternal return. What should we do? Well, as a, as a wise man said once, be smart, buy eternal. I preached that sermon at the harbor like six years ago. Okay, the joke was about the, me being a wise guy. But the point is, be smart. Buy eternal. You can get something that will last forever with something that will not. That is a, that is a crazy exchange. 
to exchange this money that you can't take with you that, that you know, is here today and gone tomorrow. You can get something that will last forever. You can impact eternity. Verse 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let's sow bountifully into eternity that more people will encounter Jesus. That more people will know the love of God. Right? That's the encouragement today. Josh Booth said to me once, buy once, cry once. I'd never heard that before. I don't know if, if you have. Buy once, cry once. I kind of heard that and I said, what the heck does that mean? It took me a few minutes and I'm a little slow. Okay? It's saying, hey, if you buy something that's high quality, you're probably not going to have to cry twice about it because you're going to have to replace it or fix it or it's going to break down. So by, by investing in something of high quality initially, you're not going to have to go back and buy another one because that one broke or pay for it to be repaired. Buy once, cry once. Right? I've got uh, some friends that live in the area who are some of the smartest buyers that I know. And I would say, you know, they're, they're frugal, but that's not their main uh, awesome characteristic in relation to money. They buy nice things, and they buy a very small number of them. So they have one coat, and it's really nice, and they wear it all the time. Right? They've got a couple pairs of shoes probably that are really nice, that they like, that they've picked out, and, you know, they've invested in that. So instead of having a million of everything that's kind of halfway decent, they invest in some high-quality things. That's nice because their home is not that cluttered. It's very clean and organized and neat. And what's that, what's that kind of trend, anti-clutter? Minimalism, thank you. Right? They're, they're, they're awesome examples of that. Okay? I'm not very cultural hip if you didn't notice. Okay? So the point is we can invest in something that will last forever. And it will lead to a lot of people not having to cry. So what is holding us back? If this is so obvious, Brian, you know, why don't more people do it? I mean, if every time we give out of response to God, there's an eternal return, obviously the smartest thing would be to invest in eternity. Why does it feel like that's not necessarily always where we, where we live? When we talk about money in the church, we get a little afraid. We feel the kind of this guilt thing coming on or, you know, some shame about how we've used our money in the past or we, you know, we want to kind of be scared. We get scared about it. Well, we're going to talk about the main answer to that next week. But one preliminary answer I'm going to give is this. You can't buy eternal without believing in eternity. I think the root of the problem really comes down to faith. Do we believe what the Bible says? That there is an unseen, eternal world that matters far more than any of us think. Guys, that's hard to believe. We're talking about things we can't see. But this is the core of the issue. The more that we believe the truth of what the Bible says, the more that we believe the gospel, the more that we encounter Jesus and trust that his words are true, and that this world really does matter, and we have responsibility that God's given us to care for it, that is going to drive an investment in eternity. It's great to say, hey, you know, the smartest thing to do is to buy eternal, and every time you give, you know, there's an eternal reward. 
but you actually have to believe that there is an eternity. That God is real and His Word is true and that what we do in this life matters.